let's talk about meltdowns. Pardon me, you guys. I am going to be a little bit low energy today just because I'm having a really... My chronic pain is just not good today. <laughs> I'm not going to say today is a bad day because every day is a bad day because the chronic pain is never... It never goes away. So <laughs> I'm going to put some ice packs on my body to help with the pain management throughout the filming of this video because filming these videos does kind of take a toll on me just because I have to sit still for so long as I'm talking and I don't really move much. So yeah, wish me luck you guys. Meltdowns, let's talk about it. I'm not really quite sure why I wanted to talk about meltdowns for this week's topic. It wasn't something I was planning on. Originally, I was going to go over some lists of what social deficits could look like when you're a high-masking autistic, just because a lot of people don't understand what social deficits can look like when you are a very successful masker and scripter. That was my original idea that I was going to do this week, but I've just been feeling very drawn to talk about meltdowns instead. I don't know if it's because I feel particularly vulnerable physically and... I recently had a meltdown, I think a few weeks ago as well, and I've been helping some of my clients navigate the topic of meltdown. So I think meltdowns has just been really heavy on my mind. And I wanted to talk about, you know, the concepts of meltdowns, my experiences with it, particularly what my meltdowns look like before my diagnosis and after my diagnosis. I think this could be a really, really interesting topic. So let's just dive into it together. For those of you who don't know, I was diagnosed with autism pretty late in my life. I was diagnosed when I was 25 or 26. I forget. I'm so bad with numbers. I'm sorry. And so what that means when I say I was diagnosed late in my life is that I went through most of my life, the significant years especially of development through childhood, teenagehood, young adulthood, I went through all those years not knowing I was autistic. I don't know why I'm already feeling emotional. <sighs> Yikes, Irene. This is going to be a long episode if I'm already feeling emotional. I was reflecting this past week on what did meltdowns look like for me throughout all those years before I knew I was autistic and I haven't completely sorted through that concept yet in my own head. So you guys are kind of seeing me do it for the first time here. I'm going to be talking about it out loud like a stream of consciousness. So I apologize ahead of time if I just start randomly crying. <laughs> just know that this isn't something that I've completely thought through yet. And I'm sure some of you can relate to what that feels like of just kind of feeling in the back of your head or your heart like something's there but you haven't processed it yet and so once you have time to sit down and address it you're like I know for sure there's like a density there that once I start unraveling it it's going to be pretty intense like the feelings that start to come up. I definitely feel like my meltdowns have transformed in the way that they looked and therefore affected me physically, emotionally, all that stuff throughout different parts of my life. When I look back and think about me as a child, I feel like how I dealt with meltdowns then is kind of similar to how I'm 
choosing to deal with my meltdowns now. So it's dealing with it in a more natural way, a way that feels natural to me at least. And what that means is when I have a meltdown, I express it. It's a very physical experience and I want to be as candid as I can in today's episode because when it comes to the topic of meltdowns, I think sometimes we can grow so detached from what it really is and what it could feel like for a lot of us autistics because once we're not near a meltdown or even like a few days away from a meltdown or whatever, I feel like we could sometimes forget how intense it is. I really want to highlight to you guys that meltdowns is just a part of the autistic experience and it really doesn't matter where you are in your journey it doesn't matter how good you're doing with your mental health or your life if you're autistic your meltdowns can still be very visceral very scary and very intense i to this day still have pretty intense meltdowns and i want to say that and share it with you guys because i don't want you to feel ashamed of your own meltdowns and to feel like you're broken in a sense because i really i can understand how that feels you know because having those meltdowns can be very scary and i i feel for not only the person that has the meltdowns but i i honestly feel for the loved ones who have to witness it because it's very scary and i don't want to downplay meltdowns and that's the the nuance of this topic that's the hard thing right is that i want to normalize meltdowns in a sense where we could begin to accept it more and more into our lives and not feel as ashamed about it but i also want to highlight the fact that meltdowns are very intense and are very scary and should be taken seriously you know i think it's possible for us to hold space for all these multiple truths about meltdowns going back to the topic of what meltdowns look like for me as a child it's very physical it was described by teachers and by my own parents as these very intense tantrums. When I look back on significant moments of meltdowns as a child, I remember that when I would have them, the adults and even the children around me would seemingly respond with fear and confusion because of how intense these meltdowns were. I must say Something I do notice is that meltdowns for me and for a lot of autistic people are violent. And that's the really hard truth to accept sometimes. And I think that's the stigma as well behind meltdowns is that because autistic people during meltdowns have self-harm type of behaviors that helps us regulate, people want to try to subdue us from being able to regulate ourselves that way. When in reality, it's almost necessary to regulate yourself like that in that moment. And of course, this is going to be very different for everyone in different circumstances, right? But I'm going to try to as carefully say that for me as a child and even now, like these violent or seemingly violent aggressive stims help me. Like they genuinely help regulate me. And even saying that out loud, if I'm going to be honest, makes me feel a sense of just, I don't know, like fear of what other people think of me. 
And I'm sure a lot of you can understand like that fear of being perceived, right? For a second, you could try to empathize for someone like me, putting these personal experiences out there for others to be able to relate to. It also opens me up to be perceived by others who are not interested in understanding me and being able to be open to learning and perceiving other experiences. I feel like the internet could be very scary sometimes because people have very binary ways of thinking and they're so ready to scrutinize you when they hear a certain aspect of your experience. They're so quick to draw conclusions of like, well, it doesn't matter why or how, but if you ever do anything that's related to self-harm, that is not a form of regulation that needs to be fixed, that needs to be addressed, things like that. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't, you know, I'm not saying that you should use autism as an excuse to be like, you know what, when I'm having my meltdown, slapping myself or pinching myself really hard until I'm bruised is just how I regulate myself and I'm not going to do anything about it to like do anything otherwise because that's just how I regulate. I don't necessarily believe in that, but I also don't believe in pinholing people into binary labels of like this means you're a good person or a healthy person and this means you're a horrible unhealthy person. I remember one of the most shameful meltdowns I had as a child was when I was being physically locked into a room by a teacher because I wasn't doing the homework assignment that she wanted me to do. And so she literally physically locked me in the room. And when I tried to get out, she stood in front of me in between the door and blocked me from being able to open the door. And that was very, very triggering to me, not only because of my family history and what I was going through at home, but just feeling like I had no way out, right? And I was so overstimulated as well. And so I started to scream, cry, and I took the piece of homework assignment that she was trying to have me do And I literally just kept ripping it up into hundreds of pieces. It wasn't just like a few seconds of ripping it up just to make a point. I went on for 30 minutes just sitting there, ripping up all the paper into more and more pieces of paper. And like all the paper ended up being that small, you know, like it filled the whole room. I don't really remember what happened. I just remember that she at some point left the room to go get another teacher because I think she was taken aback with the meltdown that I was having. I mean, honestly, I don't know why she's surprised because what do you expect when you're literally locking a child in a room and physically not letting them out? Like, I don't know what she expected, but that's like a whole other topic of like people who push you into these meltdowns and then being so surprised once you're actually having these violent meltdowns of being like, oh, this is not expected. Why is this child reacting this way or this person? And there was like a nicer teacher that came in at one point that tried to like gently talk to me and get me to stop ripping up the pieces of paper. And I just was nonverbal the whole time, continuing to rip up the piece of paper. I didn't make eye contact with anyone. I don't even think I fully grasped what was happening around me at that point until my mom finally came into the room and she was just like, what is going on here and I remember she went to go apologize to the teachers for my behavior and she didn't really comfort me or ask me what went on and we just we just went on with our lives like nothing was wrong 
only I was wrong and the problem was me. I think moments like that really shaped how I approached my meltdowns moving forward. So for those of you who have been watching my videos for a while now, you know that when fifth grade to sixth grade rolled around, I started to already develop depression. And this was when I started to mask a lot more because I was constantly being reprimanded for my behavioral problems. And so I started to mask a lot more, mask over those behavioral problems, start to suppress myself in every single way possible. And I was basically like a shell of a person from sixth grade all the way through even college. I felt like I started to internalize all of my meltdowns. That's something that I don't think a lot of people talk about. I've seen some people share about that experience, especially autistic women on TikTok. They share about the experiences of having internalized meltdowns because we're so used to seeing meltdowns as these very violent external experiences, right? And I did have those meltdowns too, but I also had those internalized meltdowns for probably majority of my life, honestly. And I, I feel like these internalized meltdowns, although spare the people around me, were worse for me in the long run. They were more painful. And I just kind of want to conceptualize that really quick and talk about it with you guys. What do internalized meltdowns look like for me? I feel like my internalized meltdowns were basically... When I was in so much distress that I was having a meltdown, but I was literally keeping myself from physically letting it out. So suppressing my stims, suppressing the cries and the grunts that I needed to let out verbally, suppressing every aspect of regulation that could have somewhat helped me for the sake of allowing others to feel more comfortable and not be scared of me. But what I felt on the inside was still just as intense. What it kind of felt like was that explosion happening, but because I contained it all the way back in, the explosion got condensed into this really hard, dense ball in the middle of my body. And it just stayed there. It stayed there and it didn't go away because for meltdowns that you let out and you have it become an external experience and you have all of these intense, sometimes even violent stims to regulate yourself, that almost allows you to get through that meltdown and ride the wave quicker, right? You, you get through it in a matter of, let's say, 15 to 30 minutes. But by the time you ride it out, you feel somewhat like relaxed and regulated after. You might feel exhausted, but at least it's like out of your body. Whereas an internal meltdown, it stays in there and it doesn't go away. And I feel like for me, what that would look like was very intense derealization, depersonalization. When I had consistent internal meltdowns, I felt like I had chronic brain fog. I couldn't formulate thoughts sentences at all. I couldn't even conceptualize life 
I was so detached that like the concept of like going to school and going to however many classes, six classes a day, five days a week, I just couldn't conceptualize why we were doing all of it. I couldn't conceptualize why certain rules were there. And therefore it was it was harder for me to follow because it just didn't make sense to me. Like even the, the dumb rule of like girls aren't allowed to wear spaghetti straps or um, put their hands down and your shorts or skirt had to be past your fingertips. Even just objective rules of like when you're writing an essay, you're supposed to have a thesis, a plot, this, that, climax. I couldn't conceptualize any of these things. I was horrible in classes because of that. And it wasn't because I had a low IQ necessarily. I remember so many days in high school where I would be standing in the hallways just hearing the hums of all the voices and just feeling as if I was out of my body. Chunks of time and memory during these years just are not there. I'm reading a really amazing educational book right now called The Body Keeps Score and there's a part of this book where they explain how people with PTSD which a lot of autistic people have PTSD. When we are going through triggers, the left side of our brain that is in charge of logic is also in charge of speech and it helps put together timelines and helps you problem solve. That part of your brain shuts off and you're kind of subjected to only experience things through the right side of your brain, which is like your sensory experiences, processing images, textures, things like that. And sometimes even then people will shut themselves off to those experiences. So you're basically shut off from both sides of your brain. And I definitely feel like having consistent internalized meltdowns forced me to shut myself off from both sides of my brain. Because during these years, I was so disconnected, not only from my own body, and logic and the environment around me, but I was shut off to my own emotions, my own sensory experiences. I feel like I was kind of hyposensitive during this time. And that's not something we talk about either. We oftentimes talk about hypersensitivity with autism, but I went through many years being hyposensitive. I literally have a full body tattoo upon other really big tattoo pieces all over my body. And during this time, I felt like I didn't feel the pain. I genuinely didn't feel the pain. And if anything, the pain from tattoos brought a sense of calm to me during that time in my life. And right now I don't feel that same way. Right now I'm hypersensitive. But during the years where I internalized my meltdowns, I was very hyposensitive. And I think that was a result of being so disconnected from my body. And I feel like internalizing all of that pain, honestly, is probably what developed all of my chronic illnesses. You know, if you think about it, you don't have to be a doctor to be able to piece these things together. If your freaking nervous system is constantly going off and your parasympathetic nervous system is not being accessed and not working properly, you are bound to develop chronic illnesses because your body is not meant to handle all of that stress. I feel like for those of you out there who may not have these external meltdowns, I want you to ask yourself, how disconnected are you from your body? Like genuinely disconnected. How bad is your brain fog? Is it hard for you to formulate any sort of thought? And how hyposensitive are you to different sensory stimuli? I'm not going to say that I didn't feel emotions, right? I did feel emotions. It's just I felt disconnected from understanding those emotions. And that's part of the brain fog. I couldn't process 
what those emotions were, let alone how to express it in a linear way. Going from college into the years after college, there was like a significant transitional point where I started to foster a lot more peace and regulation in my life because my living situation was a lot more stable. I started to foster a sense of safety and stability is honestly what it was. And I think because of this, there were moments where I couldn't hold and internalize the meltdowns even if I wanted to. And I would have meltdowns in public. Usually these were in settings that consisted of a system. So hospitals is one of them. School is one of them. Work would be another one. Because my meltdowns were always correlated with getting lost and taken advantage of within a system. And being very confused and helpless. So I would have these externalized meltdowns for the first time in years in these public settings around other people and in front of other people. And when I was having these externalized meltdowns again, I didn't know what they were. And during this time, I felt a deep sense of like shame around it because in these moments where I would have these meltdowns, I felt like I couldn't control it. It just happened. And while it was happening, I almost felt this sense of like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm in so much distress, but I am so helpless right now that I can't do anything about it other than let it out and also during this time I started to develop a lot of health issues this is when my endometriosis started to get really really bad but once I got diagnosed with autism and I realized what was happening to me I made a conscious effort from then on out to allow myself to actually externalize my meltdowns and regulate myself through those meltdowns and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I said in the beginning of that video, my meltdowns as of now is similar to what my meltdowns look like as a child. But the only difference is, is that I have the knowledge cognitively as to what's happening to me, what helps me in those moments. Therefore, I could feel less confused and a little bit less shame because of it. And I think the shame part is something that takes time to really alchemized. But that isn't to say that it isn't scary. I still feel a sense of fear of how intense these meltdowns can be for me and how that looks, especially around my partner who is here to witness them, right? And helps me through those meltdowns. I tell my partner certain things that could help if he wants to be there to help. This part is going to be different for everyone because some people prefer to navigate their meltdowns by themselves because it is such a deep shameful experience i'm not here to invalidate that you know everyone has their own growth journey that they're going through for me i do actually like having my partner there to be there to regulate with me through my meltdown and this isn't for every person right Meaning I wouldn't trust any person to navigate my meltdowns with me. But my partner that I'm with right now, he is very, very good at navigating that with me. He's very grounding in those moments. I think a reason for this is because he's such an empathetic, nurturing person. He has a very strong spirit within him. And he's a nurse. He works in healthcare. He's literally trained in many ways to be calm in these types of moments and navigate that. And so what's helped me when I have meltdowns, first is the preemptive thing. We've come to a point where we've agreed together that when I am about to have a meltdown, because I'm very cognizant of what it feels like to start to ramp up to a meltdown, 
I said that I would tell him when I'm ramping up to a meltdown and say, I'm about to have a meltdown. Very straightforward, no explanation. Just this is basically like a warning sign and also like an olive branch, a very thick olive branch with a lot of olives on it. Basically saying we need to stop right now. I'm in so much distress that I'm about to have a meltdown and we need to start regulating together and like calming down or at least stopping so that I can regulate myself. So we've come to that point where we agreed on that and it's helped a lot because there were many moments where through the escalation process, I was able to say I'm about to have a meltdown and he was able to respect that and we could take our space away from each other if needed or take a space away from the situation and we could regulate together or I could self-regulate. For me, when I'm having my meltdown, I am first of all crying but the cry isn't a normal cry. It's a very verbal cry. So I'm grunting, I'm wailing, that type of guttural cry. I usually find myself curling up in a ball of some sort. And when it gets really, really intense, because a meltdown has like waves to it, right? It kind of like gets more and more intense as you're like letting it out. And usually at that point, that's when I could have more harmful physical stims so the way i'm regulating myself could be pinching my own skin right it could be hitting myself it could be you know hitting the ground so hard that my hand could be broken if i'm not stopped things like that and usually when i get to that point my partner will come and he will hold me this isn't going to work for everyone but for me it's really helpful because i trust my partner and that's something that would actually bring me a sense of comfort and regulation and something that he's done that i didn't even ask for but he did through his own intuition that's really helped is because my, i use my hands a lot when i'm having my meltdowns in harmful ways he squeezes his hands into mine he sometimes even has to like pry my fingers apart because I'm so like balled up and tense that he will squeeze his hands into my hands and like literally get his way in there, like wedge his way in there. And he will tell me to squeeze his hands. And this has been so helpful for me. I don't squeeze his hands because I don't want to hurt my partner, but it's the thought that counts. The thought of him knowing what I need, not making me feel bad for it or ashamed, but just basically letting me know like he's here for me and he's here to help in a way that's not shameful and is actually very, very validating. And usually when he does that, that's for some reason enough to like kind of get me out of the height of my meltdown. It, and I start to like come down from the meltdown at that point. And sometimes I'll come back up again into another wave. And sometimes I'll have multiple waves. They're, maybe they're not as intense, but I'll like go back into another wave, go back into another wave, calm down, and then ultimately have the final like wave that rides itself out. And then I calm down. And that's kind of what my meltdowns look like at this point. I'm so thankful for my partner for being able to be there for me in these moments and witness me in these moments and not make me feel bad or broken or make me feel like I'm scaring him because sometimes I think a lot of us do 
try to have our meltdowns in privacy or internalize our meltdowns because we're not wanting to scare other people. Like even in those moments of very intense distress, we're thinking about others. That's the thing. And I really hope that some of you out there have loved ones, at least one person in your life where you could navigate meltdowns with and have them witness you and not make you feel ashamed of it. Because the truth is, even though we might be scared to scare others, I don't think we want to be alone during our meltdowns. I think idealistically, we want to be with someone we love and trust and be held in those moments and be witnessed and not feel ashamed and feel like we're not alone. And if you're out there and you don't have that person, I want you to at least feel a sense of togetherness in knowing that there's other people out there in this community, you know, even me, that have had those moments of melting down by ourselves, you're not alone in the experience of having these types of intensive meltdowns. So at least know that you're not alone in this world, in that experience. And I just kind of want to leave it at that, honestly. You're not alone. Take this time to share your experiences down in the comment section below with meltdowns, what your meltdowns look like and feel like, and know that this is a safe space to express these types of things and not feel ashamed of it. And if you can, pass along understanding and comfort to another person who comments down below and let's just try to be there for each other. I want to foster a sense of freedom in expressing your human experience, but also a sense of community that there's other people out there who struggle in similar ways, especially with tender topics like this. Let's really truly be there for each other to navigate this very difficult experience and conversation. Other than that, make sure you truly, truly take care of yourselves this week. Be gentle with yourselves. I'll see you guys on the next one.